there was a park ranger at Yosemite National Park, and he was leading a group of tourists up to a particular place, and he was so caught up in the teaching about the flora and the fauna, about the environment, about the nature around him, that there was so much chatter on the two-way radio that he decided to turn the two-way radio off. And, excuse me, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Yosemite, it was Yellowstone. And he decided to turn the chatter off of the radio. And uh, he went along for another half hour or so, when all of a sudden, a fellow ranger came running up to him without, uh, you know, just really agitated and nervous. And he said, why did you turn off the two-way radio? And the guy goes, well, what's the problem? What's going on? And he said, we've seen a grizzly bear uh, trekking your group. We came to warn you of the particular danger. You know, as your pastor, I wear several different hats. I wear a hat of pastor, teacher, um, comforter, helper, somebody that comes alongside and pats you in the back. I'm also called to the role of priest and prophet. In other words, I'm to declare the whole truth and the whole counsel of God's word. And sometimes God's word is, the Bible says, as sharp as a double-edged sword. It cuts to bone or marrow. Unfortunately, there are many people that I believe that kind of circulate around churches that may not have ever had what I consider a full full salvation experience. I know of people, and you know of individuals, and we've heard of these people who perhaps observe the Christian faith. They maybe even partake of communion, have been baptized, maybe even become a member of the church without ever, ever experiencing what we would consider a salvation experience in their life. Somebody has said this. Someone has said, religion and religion observances is like being vaccinated with a mild form of Christianity without ever getting the disease. Are we saved? Are we truly saved? Do we have the hope of eternal life in our lives? Someone might say this morning, I don't know. Well, I want you to walk out of this room knowing that you can have the hope of eternal life. And I want you to know several different truths this morning. And we find these particular truths in Mark chapter 10. The first truth, the first truth that I see in this particular passage of Scripture is this. I must know, I must know, in order to experience eternal life, in order to have a relationship with God, I must know, I must know that I'm a sinner and that I'm totally a lost apart from God's grace, that I'm a sinner and I'm totally lost apart from God's grace. And this is difficult for some people to grasp. This is very, very difficult. On the surface, this young, young rich ruler by the world standards was an exceptional. He was an exceptional young man. Look at all his goodness. Look at all his good points. First of all, he in verse 17, we read that he was confident and he was enthusiastic. He was confident and he was enthusiastic. With enthusiasm, in verse 17, it says that he came running up to Jesus. You know, there's a new young guy down here at True Value Hardware Store. 
and he is full of enthusiasm. I can't even make it through the front door of True Value Hardware Store without this young person running up to me and saying, can I help you? And I love his pep, and I love his vigor. This young rich ruler came running up to Jesus, verse 17 says. He's full of enthusiasm. The, the other thing I want you to notice about him, he's humble. He's humble. He's a man full of humility. It says he fell on his knees before Jesus. And you see, at this particular time, really, Jesus is a relatively unknown teacher. He hasn't revealed to people, very many of them, that he's really the Son of God, that he's the Messiah. As far as this young rich ruler is concerned, he thinks that he's some sort of teacher from Nazareth, some sort of carpenter teacher. But he knelt before Jesus. He was a person of humility and enthusiasm. He was also very discerning. He was also very discerning. He knew that there was something different about Jesus. Did you know that in the age that we live in, that there are a lot of people that are not that discerning when it comes to spiritual things? They're oblivious to the spirit world. But he knew that Jesus had something different. This young man also had his mind on spiritual things. He had his mind on spiritual things. In verse 17, he asked the question, What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question. That's a question that every single one of us should be asking. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Because there is life after death. There is eternal life. He had his mind on spiritual things. In all of my ministry, I've only had one total stranger, after finding out I was a pastor, who asked me, how can I have the hope of eternal life? Tell me how I can be saved. This young man is full of enthusiasm. He's humble. He's discerning. He had his mind on spiritual things. Also, outwardly, he was morally clean. He was morally clean. Jesus said to him after he asked the question, how can I inherit eternal life? Jesus told him in verse 20, Keep the commandments. He said in verse 20, I've kept all of the commandments since I was a little boy. He didn't lie. He didn't cheat. He didn't steal. He kept the Sabbath. He obeyed his father and mother. He was a straight arrow. He would have made a great neighbor. He would have made a great business partner. He would have made George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life look like a bad guy. He was so squeaky clean. This guy was also successful. He was a rich, young ruler. He knew how to make money. He knew how to manage people, the context. He was ethical. He was smart. He, 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 he was successful. He was honest. You would say that he was a good man. And by the world standards, he was an exceptionally good man. He also, unfortunately, was also delusional about his goodness. Now, Jesus didn't pat him on the back. In verse 18 of our text here in Mark chapter 10, Jesus kind of treats him abruptly, almost a little bit rough. Look at verse 18 with me. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Now Jesus is teaching this young man two primary truths, and these are not in your notes, but you can write these in the margin. Jesus is teaching this man two primary uh, things here. First of all, he's teaching this young man that despite all of his externals, internally, he is not good. Internally, he is not good. A lot of people think they're good, moral people, 
And by societal standards, they are. But Jesus said, and the Bible teaches, that no one is good. Did you know that? No one is good. The Bible indicates, Scripture says, we've all sinned. Now, I don't know why people have such a problem with the word sin. It just means that you failed. You don't have perfect performance. I don't have perfect performance. Billy Graham doesn't have perfect performance. The Pope doesn't have perfect performance. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But this young man thought by his goodness that he was made righteous before a holy and, and uh, uh, God. Scripture says we've all sinned. The second thing I want you to notice here is that Jesus was teaching this young man that he was God. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? It says, no one, Jesus said, no one is good but God. A lot of people want to tip their hat to Jesus without ever bowing their knee. Become a fan, but not a follower. In the Old Testament, there are dozens of scriptures and references about the Messianic promises, and Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one of them. At Christmas time, we were reminded that Jesus Christ was there, pre-existent with God the Father, creating the foundations of the world, throwing the night light bright set up there, and he stepped down in the course of time, and he was born as a baby. God wrapped in the flesh. In fact, in John 1.1 we read, In the beginning was the Word, and speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God wrapped in the flesh. Jesus said, there is none good. There is none good but God. Don't just say Jesus is a good fellow. He's a nice teacher. You see, if Jesus is not God, Jesus is not good. That's what Jesus said. If Jesus is not good, then he's not, excuse me, if Jesus is only good, then he's not God. He's not God. You see, if Jesus is not God, Jesus is not good. Jesus Christ said so himself. Jesus was saying to this young man, I am God and you're a sinner. I'm God and you're a sinner. I want you to listen to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. This is what it reads. None are righteous. This is what the scripture says. None are righteous and none are good. None are good. Not even one. And I want you to listen to this quote. Someone has said, quote, Good men are sinners at their worst when human goodness becomes a substitute for being born again and receiving Christ as their Savior. Another person said, The worst form of human goodness becomes badness when human goodness is a substitute for God's grace. Now somewhere between here and Ontario is, is it Cow Valley? Cal Valley, on the other side of unity. I mentioned Cal Valley in a conversation with a number of people the last couple weeks, and I always get the same reaction. I begin by saying, I have a hard time going 55 miles per hour in Cal Valley. I find myself heading toward Ontario and Cal Valley, and it's 55, 60, 65, 70, and Greg Armstrong said, as long as you go 68 or 69, you don't get a ticket. And I mentioned that conversation to somebody, a number of people, and they say, Pastor Ron, it's hard for me not to go 75 
80, 85, 90 miles an hour. When it's nice weather, it's wide open, there's no traffic, I want to get to Ontario, and I just find myself going 90 miles an hour. <laughs> and I've heard a number of you say that. <laughs> now, if I was a policeman, and if I was a highway patrol, and I wanted to fill my docket full of tickets, I'd be out in Cal Valley. The posted speed limit is 55. And as much as I think that is so archaic, 55. Can you believe that? Nevada, it's 70, 75. Certain parts of California, 70. But no, out here, it's 55. <laughs> and as much as I think that that's archaic, and it's nice weather, and it's straight, and there's no traffic, if a highway patrolman pulled me over, he would give me a ticket if I'm understand if I'm going 70 plus miles an hour. No matter how I try to convince him what a stupid thing it is, he would say to me that I am a lawbreaker and he would write me that ticket. See, the Bible says we're all lawbreakers. The Bible says that we've all sinned. The Bible says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So truth number one, in order to experience eternal life and in order to have a salvation experience, I must know, I must know that I'm a sinner before a righteous and holy God and that I can't do anything to earn God's favor. Nothing. This leads me to truth number two. I must also understand that I cannot save myself. I cannot save myself through my goodness and or by obeying the law and the commandments of God. If you were to talk to the average person on the street, they would say, if you ask them if they're going to go to heaven, they would say, I'm going to go to heaven because my goodness outweighs my badness. You can't go to heaven on your goodness. It doesn't mean that you are to be a good person. You are to be a good person. But your goodness disqualifies you in a sense because God, create, God grades on perfection, absolute perfection. You would have to obey every single law and never ever blow it in your entire life. And in order to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, imagine batting 1,000 and playing air-free baseball. That's the only way. You, nobody would be able to get in the best, the best bat 300. Well, this young rich ruler asked, how can I be saved? And Jesus responds in verse 19. Look at it with me. He says, you know the commandments. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Uh, do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Do honor your father and mother, etc., etc. And this young man, I can't believe he has the audacity to say this. In verse 20 he says, I have kept them all since I was a boy. Then Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell everything and give it to the poor. Now listen, this is so important. Jesus is not teaching salvation by commandment keeping. He's not teaching salvation by commandment keeping. He's not. He is teaching just the opposite. You see, the Bible teaches that we're not saved by keeping the commandments. This young man said, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus referred him to the commandments. What Jesus is teaching 
this young man is that he he is not keeping the commandments like he thinks he's keeping the commandments. You say, what's the purpose of the Ten Commandments, Pastor Ron? Why did God give the Ten Commandments? They let us know that we are sinners and that we cannot save ourselves and that we need a holy and righteous God and we need God's power. They let us know. They're a teaching guide. The Ten Commandments, they were given, bottom line, to teach us that we cannot live apart from God. I want you to listen to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, what? Through the law, we become conscious of sin. We become conscious of the fact that we cannot live up to God's standard. God gave us a law to let us know that we're sinners. And Jesus is using the law right here to show this young man that he's a sinner. Now, you may think that you're good until you come up to God's law, until you come up to the Ten Commandments. When I was a child, like you, I would see those signs, wet paint signs, wet cement signs. I would see all those signs. And you know what? I must have been an ornery kid because those do not touch the wet paint and do not put your hand in the wet cement. They didn't do anything to permit me from doing those things. They didn't do anything. All they did was want me to make it do, do it more. I had my handprints all over a brand new sidewalk one time. I did, and I, I came this close to getting caught, and I didn't get caught, thank the Lord. But the guy was so mad. <laughs> he was so mad. I still remember the redness of his face. The guy had been working out there. <laughs> it didn't do anything. Those do not, they don't do anything, except, except they make you want to do those things. And that's the, all the law does. It makes you want to be a lawbreaker. It lets you know that you are a sinner. It lets you know that you need a holy and righteous God and you need God's empowerment in your life to obey those things. Well, what is sin? Here's the definition of sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Sin is a transgression. It's a willful transgression against God's law. And that means that you are a lawbreaker. I'm a lawbreaker. And that means you're a sinner. And that means that I'm a sinner. We've all sinned. Now, why did Jesus Christ give this illustration of law-keeping to this young man? You see, God's mercy, God's grace will mean nothing until we see ourselves as sinners in the sight of a holy and righteous God. We cannot be saved. We cannot have the hope of eternal life until we see that we're absolutely lost and we're sinners in the sight of a holy and righteous God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, I've come to call sinners to repentance. The law is a tool that God uses to get us ready to be saved. It's a tool to help us to see that we are sinners. Now, someone might say like this young man, I've kept every single commandment since I was a boy. And let's say that you have. Let's say that this guy, even though I think he's delusional, he says, you know, he says out loud, well, I've kept every single commandment. Let's say that you've kept all of the external commandments. But like this young man, you could have a superficial understanding of the commandments. Do you know the commandments 
Jesus asked. In other words, have you kept them? Romans chapter 7, verse 14 tells us that the commandments are spiritual. Did you know that? They're spiritual. They're not just external, but they're internal. And in other words, we may be all right outwardly. We may, be, we may obey the letter of the law and still not keep the Ten Commandments inside of our heart. For example, Jesus said, the Lord said, don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. But I say, Jesus said, when you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Some people will say, I've never committed adultery, but God may have it written down in your account because you've had lust in your heart. Some people will say, you know, the law says, you shall not murder. But Jesus said, when you have hatred and anger in your heart, it's as though you've murdered someone already. Did you know that? This rich young ruler said, hey, I'm not broken any commandments, no idols, no graven images. Uh, I remember the Sabbath. I've not taken God's name in vain. I've honored my father and mother. I've not killed. I've not committed adultery. One time, I was carrying a refrigerator into the fellowship hall, the church that we pastored. And uh, we didn't have a dolly. We were stupid. <laughs> and I had the heavy end and this big old guy that was six foot four and 240 pounds. He had the light in. I don't know why. I was dumb. I was carrying this refrigerator and, and it slipped. And it cut my thumb right here, this, this area. And I, you can still see the scar so I had to go to the emergency room. And in the emergency room, there was a skilled doctor, and he sewed me up. He fixed me up. Now, Jesus Christ, like a skilled surgeon, is ready to operate on this young man. He's been setting him up, you might want to say, on his so-called goodness. And he confronts him with the truth about his law-keeping. In verse 21, look at it with me. Jesus said, okay, one more thing. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. You see, one of the commandments says, thou shall not covet. And this young man knew, I mean, Jesus knew that inside of his heart that this young man was breaking this commandment. He had covetousness in his heart. As somebody has said, his idol was gold and his creed was greed. His idol was gold and his creed was greed. This young man said that he kept all of the commandments and he had not broken any of the whole law. A lawyer one day came to Jesus and asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love God with our heart, body, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbors yourself. Jesus said to this young man, out of love. It says out of love because he had compassion on him. Not because he wanted to hit him over side the head, but out of passion and love for him. Because he knew that he was self-deceived. Because he knew his goodness was a pretense for true repentance. Because he knew that he had broken every single commandment. He said, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. But he wasn't willing to do that because he loved his money more than he loved God and he loved his money more than he loved his neighbor. When it came to the spirit of the law, he broke every single 
commandment. Because the scripture indicates that if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. Now, is Jesus Christ teaching that you can buy your way into heaven by selling everything that you have and by giving those those things to the poor? Is Jesus Christ teaching that? No. What Jesus is doing is giving this man a revelation of his heart. Jesus is showing him that he's guilty of covetousness and the spirit of the law. Whoever tries to keep the whole law and fails again in one point is guilty of breaking the whole law. None of us are saved by commandment keeping. Now the third thing I want you to understand, the third truth that we have to put into practice is this. I must choose. I must choose, this is important, I must choose who will be my master. I must choose who will be my master. Look at look look at uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 21 again. Look at it with me. Jesus looked at him and said, One thing you lack, go and sell everything and give to the poor. And then he said, Come and follow me. Now, why would he tell this rich young ruler to give everything he had to the poor and come and follow him? As far as we know, this is the only place in Scripture that Jesus told somebody, sell all of your possessions and give everything to the poor. You know why? Because Jesus knew that this rich young ruler had an idol in his life. You say, what's the definition of an idol? An idol is a false god, something that we are trusting in, something that we're fearful of. How do you know? How do you know he had this idol in his life? I'll show you in just a moment. What was it? It was his wealth. It was his money. His gold. How do you know? Look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus looked around and said to disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now he is not saying that a rich person cannot be saved because he goes down later on he says, all things are possible with God. But the disciples, they were astonished at his words. How hard it is for those, in other words, who trust in their riches. You see, whatever a person trusts in, that's their God. Whatever a person puts their trust in, that's their God. Anything that we love more, anything that we fear more, anything that we trust more is an idol. And this man had an idol. He had a false idol. And the Bible says, no man can serve two masters. He must serve one. One master. What this man needed to do was repent of what? He needed to repent of idol worship. What this man needed to do was recognized that he was a sinner, that his goodness would not save him, that his commandment keeping would not save him. And he needed to deal with the fact that his gold was an idol in his life. Jesus said again, no man can serve two masters. You must serve one. You must make a choice. Now, we can't go to heaven by keeping the commandments. Nobody has perfect performance. You cannot go to heaven if you have an idol in your life. You must turn from that idol and turn to God. And this is called repentance. 
this is my observation, and it's only my observation, and and I've heard other people talk about it too, but I've seen it, and that is, in today's Christian world, people say, you want eternal life, you want heaven, you want peace with God, you want joy in your life, Yes. Yes, I do. I'm going to receive Christ as my Savior. And never, never turn away from their idol. You cannot receive salvation unless you recognize that you're a sinner and turn away from any idol in your life. So there's repentance. And then there's faith. I must express faith in Jesus Christ. I must recognize that He's my Lord, that He's my CEO, that He's my boss. I must do that. And there are all kinds of scriptures about repentance. All kinds of scripture. In Mark 1.15, Mark 6.12, Acts, the book of Luke. Uh, what is Repentance. It's a change of mind. It's like I'm heading in this direction. I'm going this way. And all of a sudden I say, I want to go this way. It's a 180 degree turn. I repent. I say, Lord, I'm sorry. That's an idol in my life. It's controlling my life. I'm putting my trust in my boyfriend. I'm putting my trust in my girlfriend. I'm putting my trust in my riches. I'm putting my trust in my finances. I'm putting my trust in my job. I'm putting my trust in my hobbies. I'm putting my trust in my idols. I'm putting my trust. No, I have to repent. I have to forsake my idols and go 180 degrees and say, Lord, I want to serve you and you alone. No one else. You cannot serve two masters. You can just have, must serve one. One master, one Lord. Now, have you repented? Have you turned from the idols in your life, repented and turned and made Jesus Christ the master and Lord of your life? Luke 6.33 says, Unless you repent, there is no redemption. As somebody said, I cannot hold on to the God of gold and the God of grace at the same time. Did you hear what I said? You cannot hold on to the God of gold with one hand and the God of grace in another. You must serve one master. You cannot serve two. Jesus said, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. Whatever you're trusting in, if it's not Jesus, it's not going to get you into heaven. Now you, you would think that this rich young ruler who had... Uh, who had heard this truth um, would have changed. In some churches, unfortunately, he would have been taken into membership. He would have, you're a good person. That's all we need is your goodness. You're an ethical person. Welcome in. Come in. Be baptized. But Jesus knew he had an idol in his life. How hard it is. Jesus is not teaching works righteousness, but that you have to choose a master. I, I want you to look at verse 21 one more time. Notice Jesus said, Come and take up your cross 
and follow me. Receive me. Faith is not a nod, nodding our head in a series of theological facts about Jesus. It is putting Jesus Christ on the throne of our hearts. Now, verse 22 indicates that this young man had a choice to make. He had a choice to make. Jesus laid it out and he said, Come and follow me. Give your riches to the poor. Sell everything that you have. And it says that he walked away sadly. You could just see him contemplating, thinking. Perspiration pops out. Wrinkling of his face in deep thought. He thinks about all that he has. He thinks about all that he's been trusting in. He sees Jesus, the hope of eternal life, and there's a choice. And I'm sure the demons whisper, don't be a fool. You're a fool to give up all of this, to give up all of your wealth. You have so much. And the Holy Spirit, I imagine, is on the other side, says you, saying, you can't keep it all. You can't have it all. Store up your treasures in heaven. Who do I trust? Shall I go this way? Shall I go that way? Finally, he says to Jesus, no. And he turns back to his idol. And I'm sure that demons shout with glee and angels weep. Who knows? You know, who knows, really? Who knows what this young man could have been? Maybe he could have been another Timothy. Maybe he could have not been another Titus. Maybe he could have not been another Apostle Paul. But now, I believe, this is what the Scripture teaches, as much as we don't like this, as much as we like to gloss over this, I believe the Scripture is teaching that this young man is in hell without his riches, separated from a holy and righteous God because he could not give up everything to follow Christ. Whatever a man chooses will master that man. Whatever he chooses. I must repent, recognize I'm a sinner. I must understand that I cannot be saved by my own good works, commandment keeping, my own goodness is as filthy rags. I must choose who will be my master. Have you made that decision? Have you made that decision? Have you made that choice? I don't know how else 
to preach this message. I don't know how else to say this. I don't know anything else I could have said or done. I don't know. Don't you want the hope of eternal life? Don't you want to be forgiven of your sins? You have to turn away from your idols. And, and I have a word for uh, I have a word for Christian people. You can give yourself to Christ and live a victorious Christian life, but somehow drift and allow an idol to come back in your life. Allow an idol to come back in your life and allow it to dominate your life again happened in my life it usually happens in the area of time talent and treasures I'm just going to give God a little bit of time he's going to be down here someplace as far as my priority my priorities are all of these other activities all of these other hobbies and I'll worship God when I have time for him, our talents. You know, I served the Lord way back when. I served in the nursery and I taught Sunday school and I did all those things when I was a younger person. But don't ask me to serve anywhere in the church today because I'm a busy person and I'm retired. I don't want to do those things. My time is my time and my talents are my talents. You better watch it. You better watch it. Because your time and your so-called talents can become an idol. And your hobbies and your interests. And number three, treasures. Treasures. I'm going to tip my hat to Jesus. But when it comes to my finances and my money, that church gets enough tithes and offering, and I don't need to give my tithes, and I don't give, need to give my offerings. I'm just going to give a little bit of money here and a little bit of money there. Did you know the Scripture teaches that tithing teaches you to put God first in every single area of your life. Did you know that? That's what the Scripture says. But Pastor Ron, I've got car payment. I've got a truck payment. I've got a boat payment. I've got a trailer payment. I've got this payment. And I've got that payment. Come on now. Is Jesus Christ really the Lord of your life? Or are those so-called possessions, idols, idols. I give not because some preacher twists my arm and makes me feel guilty. I give out of my love for what Christ has done for me. 
He's the Lord of my life. He desires to be first place in every single area of my life. Repent. Forsake those idols. Get rid of them. You cannot serve two masters. You must serve one. As somebody has said so well, are we going to be a fan of Christ or a follower of Christ? Time, talents, and treasures. Every area. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together.